So my name is Rodney Hall. Uh, I've been here uh, pretty close to five years, and I will be reading from the active living word of God this morning in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Well, if you're not already in that passage, I want to encourage you to turn to that passage because that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. We're continuing our series, or actually finishing up our series, uh, on this idea of worship through generosity. So that as we are generous, it's worship of our God. It's worship of our Lord. And there's a, a phrase out of that passage we just got through reading that stand out to me, has stood out to me for a long time, for a lot of years, and even this week, as I looked at the passage once again, it just, it just hammers me. And it's that very last phrase, so that, starts out with so that, in order that, they may take hold of that which is truly life. So, what is truly life? Are you experiencing truly life? The truly life that he's talking about here, are you experiencing it? Because that's what Paul, he kind of, he's talking to Timothy. In fact, Timothy is a guy that, that uh, he met on his second missionary journey. May have met him on the first one, but he at least asked him to go with him on the second missionary journey. His grandmother knew the Lord. His mama knew the Lord. He had a Greek father. And so Timothy, he asked him, I, I want you to, to go with me. And so Timothy follows him and you see his name throughout the book of Acts. You see his name in a lot of the letters. And when Paul was nearing the end of his life, just a few years from the end, his first imprisonment in Rome, after he's released, he takes Timothy and they go by Ephesus and they leave, he leaves Timothy at Ephesus in order to clean up some things, in order to help them with their theology. It was a powerful church. He wanted to, uh, Timothy, he wanted one of his, his really good disciples to be there to influence and disciple that church. And so he leaves him there and then he goes on to Macedonia and then he writes Timothy this letter. And he writes him this letter because he wants to, to help him as a pastor. In fact, these are called the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And this, this, here he is, a young pastor. We know he's young from uh, 4.12 in this, in this uh, book uh, where he talks about, don't let anybody look down on your youth. So apparently he was younger as a pastor, younger than what people expected. He said, don't let people look down on you. You got the message. You got the Savior. And so he, he is, he's, as he's wrapping up this letter, he begins to talk about money. 
Apparently, they were talking about money. Some of the false teachers were talking about it. There was a kind of a movement going on. We have a similar kind of movement, prosperity theology, but you also had in those days, almost like poverty, you're more spiritual if you're impoverished, which is kind of the same message as prosperity theology, actually. You're impoverished, give it to me, right? Um, And so you look at that and you realize Here he's talking to Timothy, he's trying to to help him, and he talks about money. He spends a lot of this last chapter talking about money. And in in verse 10 of this chapter, of chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, he says, for money is the root of all evil. Is that what he says? The what? The the love of money is the, oh, now, you know, it's one of the most misquoted verses in scripture, right? I mean, there's some other ones that people say are in scripture and they're not. You know, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in Bible, by the way. That's actually in a Puritan hymnal. It's a line out of a Puritan hymn. So uh, it's not in the scriptures. It's not what the Bible teaches. So here you have the love of money is the root of evil. So loving money, not good. Having money, verse 17 is to be enjoyed. I mean, look at this. You're not going to hear this very often from the pulpit, right? Enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy it. And yet, that's what, that's what Timothy is being told here by, by Paul. He says, and as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. And it goes on, and it says, who richly provides us with everything to give away? To enjoy. You think, wait a minute, what about that rich young ruler dude that Jesus was speaking to? What about that guy? Jesus told him, you have a lot of money? Give it all. Give it all away. Every, every dime, every penny, every drachma, every you know, shekel, give it away. So why isn't Paul saying the same thing here? As for the rich, tell him, give it all away. It's not what he says. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And you think, wow, that's a, that's a message that I don't hear much. Enjoy what God has given you. I, here's where I think Paul's going with this. If I were to give you this and say, here, I want you to have this as my gift to you as, as NBC. Yeah, it's a promo piece. But yeah, well, we'll turn it this way. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking of you, right? Um, and I'll give you this thing and I say, uh, you're going to have to wash it first because I've been using it. Uh, so I give you a secondhand gift. I mean, that uh, really shows our love, right? <laughs> but I say, this has been a great cup. I've used it for years. Uh, it's got the holy blessing of spit. Oh, no. It's, sorry, I've got to get back on track here. <laughs> you know how many times I just love to say some stuff like that. Um, but if I were to give you this and say, this is a wonderful gift, and you were to take it and you think, man, this is, I mean, Greg really made a sacrifice. It's his favorite cup and you know, I see him use it all the time. And, and, and so, but you say, you know, I really feel guilty having this. And so maybe I shouldn't use it. Maybe I should just set it up on the mantle or, you know, or, or maybe I should put it in the closet. Maybe I should give it away. And you don't enjoy it. And then I come to see you and you're not enjoying it. How do I feel? I think, wow, I, I, I feel bad. I gave you something. I thought you might use it. I thought you might love it. And I think, you know, the Lord gives us richly 
things he wants us to enjoy. When you're giving gifts to someone around Christmas time, birthdays, whatever, or just a thoughtful gift, you've thought of something that somebody would really like and you find it and they've been looking for it for years and you present it to them and they're like, oh man, they're overjoyed. They genuinely are. They're not just putting on an act. And they're just so excited that they have this thing that you gave to them. You're wanting them to just enjoy it. You want, our kid, you want your kids on Christmas to love what they're getting. Of course, they play with the box. Uh, but you gave them that too, so I mean, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and so you, you want them to enjoy what you've given God. Our Heavenly Father gives us wonderful gifts and he wants us to enjoy. And you kind of go, wow, that's, that's, that's an incredible message. Look at that. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying give it all away. Now, he does say be generous, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And so you back up in this, this verse and you look at verse 17. And it says, as for the rich. And you think, oh yeah, that's that other person. As for the rich. That's that person that, and you know, I looked up all these definitions of rich. I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what, is, what is the definition of rich, right? Because usually... I think of, well, that person, you know, if I'm making, you know, 25,000, then it's that person that's making 50. I mean, they're, well, look at what they're able to buy and that I'm not able to buy. Or if you're making 50, it's the, and you, and you kind of keep going, and it's always that person who has more, more than you. And I realize really that's the definition, isn't it? It's just somebody who has more, more than enough. In fact, that's one of the definitions, more than enough. More than enough what? All I'm required in life is shelter, food, and clothing. That's all. That's the necessities. Xbox is not in there. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> your phone is not in there. I know you need this thing. I, I, and you go panic whenever you can't find it or you drop it and it shatters. And you're like, my life is in this thing. Right? I did that just uh, a couple of weeks ago. I misplaced my computer and I, I just felt panic. My whole life's in there. My sermon's coming up. It's in there. All my stuff, my slides I've been working on for years. We think those are needs. Those aren't needs. Tell that to the people of the Ukraine. Right? They used to have a savings account, but now that bank is obliterated. They used to have a house, but that's been burned to the ground. They used to speak the language, but now they're in Poland. They don't speak the language. They, they're walking a, a street with a whole lot of other people wondering, am I going to be mugged? Am I, people going to take stuff from me? Are they going to do something horrible to me or to my family? And all of a sudden, the security you had when you were in your home and you had a savings account and you knew where your next meal was going to come from is all gone. It's out, it's out the window. And all you're looking for is just shelter. You got one set of clothes. You're wondering how you're going to wash those. And food. And you don't know where the next meal's coming from. You don't know if there's going to be somebody that cares. And you thank God for the generosity of places like Samaritan's Purse that's over there. And, and Crew, which uh, in Moldova, I was reading a, a buddy of mine that's, that's doing some things for some uh, Ukraine refugees and, and, and all of a sudden you begin when you think about all the things that we just take for granted that I can lock my doors at night and, it's, and it makes me feel secure and they don't feel secure they're walking they're maybe sleeping in a gutter somewhere sleeping on the side of a road not knowing if they're going to get strafed by, by plane fire 
people of Afghanistan dealt with the same thing a while back. All of a sudden, that helps you to really clarify what's really important. And your needs all of a sudden really shrink down. And you know, this is the important stuff. And you're, you're focused on taking care of your family. There was, when I was in Israel, uh, each time we, we go to the place called Beit Shan. Beit Shan's a beautiful uh, place because it's this huge archaeological site. It's an ancient Roman city laid out like ancient Roman cities were. All ancient Roman cities looked the same. They did them exactly the same. The north-south street was the Cardo. The cross street was the Decumenus. And, and then and the, and the temple was in, on one corner of that, uh, that cross street, uh, uh, the temple to, to whatever god that they were worshiping. And, and, and so uh, it, it was all set up, and the shops were along the roads and the Cardo, and you'd go and do your shopping. And so they're all set up. So you go there, and it's a wonderful place because you get to see what the ancient world was like during the Roman time. Well, this city had apparently uh, in about 300, 346 had an earthquake and everything collapsed. And then for years, it just just got covered over with silt, except for the stuff that people took to build their own houses. And so here are these columns just laying there for years. And so when they began to uncover them, they found under one column near the temple this skeleton. And in front of the skeleton was a bunch of coins. And you know the story. Earthquakes happening. He runs into the temple, grabs the coins, got a bag of coins. He's running out. Boom, a column falls on him because he thought that was important. And he gave his life for those few coins. And you think, was that meaning in life? See, that's what we've got to ask ourselves. What is truly living when everything is taken out of the way? When everything is gone, when you have nothing left, what would you say? Well, I need to have this, I need to have this, I need to have this. What would be those, if you had, it could only have three or maybe four things, what would they be? And all of a sudden, it clarifies your thinking. And it's important to clarify our thinking in that way, to think through that. What if I had nothing? Because then, then, then we've got to think through What is truly living while I still have everything? Because that's what Paul's dealing with here. People who still have everything. We still have everything. Everything that we've been given. Everything that God's richly provided for us, we still have. It hasn't been taken away yet. Of course it will one day, right? Never seen a hearse pulling a (laughs) U-Haul. One day it's all gone. One day you got nothing left. So what's important now? What's important? What do, what do you wish uh, if, 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 if you were at the end of your life and you were looking back on your life, what would you say, man, I wish I would have done. I wish my, my life would have been more meaningful if. I would have really truly lived life if. See, we got to answer that question because we're still at the point where we have everything. Is your life meaningful now? Are you doing meaningful things now? We saw on the news a slap heard around the world, right, with Will Smith. I don't know that it was heard around the world. I'm not sure a lot of other countries or even care, uh, except those who may care about acting or that kind of thing. But that's what people are calling it, slap heard around the world. And here's a guy that has some deep unhappiness, some deep pain, and he acted out. And you, and you think, here's a guy who has everything, and how would he answer this question? 
is life truly life? Even though I have everything. Because that's what he's talking about here. As for the rich. And you think, oh, that rich is that other person that has more than I do. Right? And then you go to another country. When I first went to Haiti, I saw kids with distended bellies because of malnutrition, because they didn't have enough food. That food security was not there for them. They were even malnourished. You could see it in their hair. It was discolored. And it broke my heart. And you find yourself just giving everything away. You just want to give to each one. You want to give them food. You want to do whatever for them. And I remember somebody telling me, you know, there was this pastor that was asked the question in Haiti. He was a Haitian pastor. He grew up there, was there his whole life. He said, what's one of the biggest struggles that people face here in Haiti? And he said, materialism. What? These guys have nothing. They don't even have enough food. What do you mean materialism? He says, well, you know that guy that has the mud hut with the thatched roof? He's really coveting the guy that has the mud hut with the metal roof. Because he has more. It doesn't matter how much you have. And yet, a Washington Post in 2018 said that Americans have 10 times the income of most of the rest of the world. And when you talk about third world countries, it's even astronomical. When I go to, to, to uh, Tanzania, and I'll be going again in June, when I, when, when I go to Tanzania, I find that, uh, you know, you see all these needs around you. And I, this last time I came home with almost an empty uh, suitcase. In fact, I needed to pack a few things that I brought back, and I didn't even have enough clothes to really pack them very well. And one of them got broken because I'd given it all away. In fact, I'd even bought stuff just so I could give it away. And I think about pastors there and, and, and these pastors conferences. I did a thousand pastors and, and we had these book, this book table. We were giving away books. And you could see the longing in their eyes because they could look at the table and look at the crowd and know there's not enough books on that table for each of us to even get one. And all of a sudden you, you saw them kind of almost panic is because they, and I remember when I was in Ecuador, we were giving away study Bibles to these pastors and this one pastor, after I, I gave it to the, I, I, I was at least smart on this, I gave it to the, the lead pastor. I said, you give them away. I don't, I don't want to be seen as this guy who comes in and, and gives stuff. I'll give it to you. You decide who needs to have it. And I had this pastor after all given out, he didn't get one. He came to me and said, He's almost begging me, do you have one more? Do you please? And it was a Bible, a study Bible. And he wasn't going to sell it. He was going to use it. He needed it for study. And we go to Tanzania, we're going to do the same thing. And, and, and for 12 bucks, we found out for 12 bucks, you'll see it out there in the lobby, for 12 bucks, we can buy a study Bible for one. And so you think for, you know, a few thousand bucks, we can buy uh, study Bibles for these guys in the bush that it's in Swahili, it's the uh, Swahili version, and it has study notes. I mean, that'll be more notes than they have ever had in their whole life. Uh, a lot of them uh, uh, are, are just, you know, they have nothing. And they're just trying to read the text and just kind of figure it out. And they don't have any kind of a, uh, any training or anything about what to look for. Some of them, their reading ability is not, not that great. And so you just think, wow, I want to get a study Bible to them. So that's what I'm praying for. God, please raise the money so we can bring them study Bibles. In your heart, when you see some of these needs, your heart goes out there and you think, we are rich. As for the rich in this present age, instruct them this, not to be haughty. It's easy to be haughty when you have. 
It's easy to be prideful. You think, I worked hard for this. I brought myself up by my bootstraps, right? And so you feel proud of what you've accomplished. And then you see somebody who doesn't have, and it's easy to begin to think, well, if they just did this, if they just did this other thing. When I was in Haiti, what I found was, is they didn't have the same work ethic taught to them that I had taught by my parents. Some of them didn't have parents. I had good parents that taught me how. I'm in a culture where, where a hard work ethic, working hard, is something that's valued. And in other cultures, that's not always highly valued. And so they don't know to work hard. They haven't been taught how to use money. And so when they get it, they don't know how to, how to save it. Or, or, or if they do save it, somebody takes it from them because they're, they're in a situation where they can't protect what they have. So I shouldn't be haughty. I shouldn't be prideful or boastful. It says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And when I read that, that phrase, my question is, is where is my hope? Where is our hope? Because the very next phrase says, God's our provider who richly provides for us. Richly provides. We've been richly provided for. I got, I got clothes that I'm giving away because I, I got too many of them. I got a closet full of clothes. Some people only have one or two sets of clothes. My mom growing up only had three sets of clothes. She was very much, she was very poor because she had a single mom. My grandmother and grandfather divorced. And so uh, she had nothing growing up. And one set of clothes was to wear uh, for Sunday. So they didn't wear it for normal use. So she had two sets of clothes. And when she was washing one, she was wearing the other one. Didn't have food growing up. And so I, I look at that and I think, wow. You know, there are more people in the world like that. And so where is my focus? What, am I, what is my hope set on? Is it set on my hard work? Is it set on my, my ability to save a 401k? Is it, where is my hope set? He says, set it on God. Paul says to Timothy, tell them to set their hope on God. That's where our hope needs to be. There was a missionary... Jim Elliott. I read uh, in the first year that I came to Christ, back in 1972, 70, uh, it was when I came to Christ, right after that, I began to read Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliott, his wife. In Shadow of the Almighty, she tells the story of Jim Elliott, how he went to uh, Ecuador and, and with five other, uh, four other missionaries, there were five of them total, and they wanted to reach this tribe of Akas. Aka Indians, and they wanted to reach them. They were in Ecuador, and, and in fact, a few years ago, I was going to have a chance to actually go and help with a water project among the Akas, and I thought, man, that would be, be so cool, you know, because I, I hear it kind of full circle, and I didn't get a chance to do that, but uh, I, I just thought, when I was in Ecuador, every time I've gone, I've gone five times, I've just always thought, wow, I've kind of come back to some of my spiritual roots. You know, Jim Elliott really, and Elizabeth Elliott really influenced me, Nate Saint, their faith that they went and they were trying to reach this, this tribe and this tribe is cannibalistic and this tribe is, is murderous and they, they kill people that aren't like them and they're very, they're very scary uh, to be around uh, because they just, I mean, there's, there's a, a lack of trust and some other issues going on there. But uh, uh, So he goes and he wants to read, read, reach them for Christ. And he and four other missionaries were killed by the Aka Indians. And in part because they were scared of them. They didn't understand them. If you watch the movie End of the Spear, you, you get to see that story. And, and so here they were. And, and so Elizabeth Elliot and Nate Saint's sister go back into the Akas and they lead a whole lot of them to Christ. 
including the very ones that stuck the spear in her husband. He made this statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And he's saying basically what's being said here. Where is my hope? Am I willing to give what I can't keep in order to gain what I cannot lose? Am I willing to trade the transient hope on the uncertainty of riches on the eternal? And what's eternal? God himself, the souls of people, the word of God. So when I invest in those things, when I invest in people, when I invest in the word of God, when I invest in the gospel, when I invest in, 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 in God's glory, that's where my hope is set. And, and we really have to come to that point where we make a decision in life. And I'm not saying going to full-time ministry. I think we're all in full-time ministry. There's not a clergy uh, secular distinction in my mind. We're all called to be full-time involved in investing in this world for Christ. Amen? And so what that means is, is that means that I've got to make a decision. How am I going to do that on my finances? Am I going to say, Lord, uh, here's, here's your little bit that I'm going to give you and then the rest is for me. The reality is it's all his. Remember? No U-Haul behind the hearse. It's all his. It all goes away at one point. How am I going to use it in the meantime? How am I going to invest it? And so what it means is I need, need to not put my hope in the uncertainty of riches. I mean, it all go away. I mean, we've seen the stock market going up and down. People say there's going to be a correction. Is it going to just fall like, you know, 1929? Who knows? We don't know. Could something happen like 2008 where people lose a lot? Yeah, that could happen. We need to work while it's light. We need to invest while it's still worth something. Because there's an uncertainty among riches. We see that in the Ukraine. We've seen that in Afghanistan. We've seen that with the, with the COVID virus. It says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And that idea of richly, I want, you to, I want you to circle it at least in your mind. I know you may not be the kind that writes in your Bible. I write all over mine. But because um, I, I don't want it to stay here. I want it to end up here and here, right? And so I'll do whatever I need to do to get it to here. And I learn a lot through my fingers. It says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy... And then he gives four, four phrases that all begin with the preposition to. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and ready to share. Four prepositions. I, I was going to tell you this morning, here's the four things that, we, that Paul's telling us to do. But then I realized they kind of, I think they go in groups. I think he's saying one and then emphasizing it again because I couldn't distinguish between the first one and the second. I was wrestling with that. They're to do good, to be rich in good works. Isn't that the same thing? Doing good, good works. I mean, aren't that the same? Isn't that the same thing? And I thought about Jesus. He went about doing good. That's what it talks about in Acts. And so we're more like our Savior when we're doing good. And rich in good works. And then I thought, oh, so he's saying it twice. He's saying it twice for emphasis. Uh, I think he's saying to do good, to do it richly. Oh, richly. Remember that word I told you to circle in your mind? God richly provides. He wants me to do good works richly. Not occasionally, not once in a while, 
richly. To be rich in good works, that that's something that characterizes my life. And I begin to think, you know what? When, I, when that characterizes my life, I'm never more like my God. You know John 3.16, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave. We have a generous God. Why wouldn't he want us to be generous? And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Matthew 10.8. Freely have received. Freely give. 1 John 3.16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Acts 20, 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus is more blessed to give than to receive generously, being generous. Proverbs 19. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Oh, wow. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And then Philippians 4, 11, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether in Ukraine or here, whether in Afghanistan or here. I mean, you think about that, and you think about these passages, God has given us richly to enjoy. In fact, we see that in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with one toils under the sun for the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So God wants us to enjoy it and be generous. What's God's perspective on finances? Don't love them. Enjoy them. Be generous. That's what he's telling Timothy here in 1 Timothy 6. Don't miss that. So he richly provides. He wants me to, be, to richly do good works. And then I realized I think the next two go together too. To be generous and to be ready to share. Seems like the same thing at first. To be generous, that means I'm giving now. Ready to share. I'm ready for the next thing. What's the next thing, Lord? Where else do you want me to give? I used to carry, uh, you know, like $50 around in my pocket. And what I would do is I'd look around in a, every Sunday. Lord, where is the need? Where do you want me to give this 50? And at the time, I didn't have a lot of money, but it was, you know, so 50 was a lot. And so I would look for that opportunity and I would hear that person who says, man, I'm really struggling financially because of this or that. I just lost my job and I just reach in there and say, I'm supposed to give this to you. This is the Lord's and he wants you to have it. Sometimes I would, I would, I would, I would give that uh, uh, in a card or, or whatever and I'd mail it to them. And it's just, you know, it was just so fun. I would, I would find myself looking for those opportunities and saying, Lord, okay, where do you want the 50? And I'm, I'm looking, my head's on a swivel and I'm looking and it's a blast. Giving is fun. 
It's a bless. There's a blessing in giving. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. When I have given to folks in Haiti, that has been so thrilling. In fact, I, I, I read something uh, uh, just recently. Was an, uh, I've been going through some boxes and shredding stuff, and I found this thing where I had given to a, a kid in Haiti back in 1978. He was in school. He needed money to pay tuition. The missionary was talking about him. And I said, here, he can have these shoes and this coat because he needs those for, you know, and, and he was a big kid, so they fit. Uh, or he could have them taken up on the, at least on the coat. And, and, and I, every month I sent money for this kid. And I, and I thought to myself, I wonder what happened to that kid. I wonder where he is today. I wonder how that education helped him. And I just, and I prayed for him. I, I don't know his name anymore. I've forgotten. The missionary uh, has passed away and gone on to be with the Lord. And so I don't know that I'll ever see this person until I get to heaven. But I just thought, wow, Lord, what a blessing. What joy it brings to my heart to just think about this kid and wonder and, and, and pray for him. And so, you know, there's, it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. But we got to have a transformation in our thinking about how we look at finances. We've got to stop having that as our hope and having God as our hope. And it means that we've got to go through this transformation. There's a guy that went through an incredible transformation in this. And his life was, was depicted on the silver screen. His name was Oscar Schindler. And he was a guy that, that he, at first, he had this factory and at first he thought, hey, I can get this free Jewish labor and, and they can take care of my factory and I, it's gonna, I can make more money if I have these guys working for me. And so he had them working for him, for him and then he began to care for them and then he began to try to do everything he could to protect them from the Germans taking them to these prison camps and, and, and they were making munitions. So he used that to, to kind of say, hey, this is needed for the war effort. And, and so they, they let him keep these 1,100 people. And of course, they were kind of messing up the bombs so they didn't work too well. But <laughs> they, uh, he saved 1,100 people. He's got a, a sign that I've seen. I said the Holocaust Museum in Israel as one of the righteous Gentiles who saved a life, a lot of lives. And at the end of this movie that, that, that was made on his life, they have him with those 1,100 standing around him and they're, they're, they're giving him a gift and they're just thanking him for what he's done for them. And instead of feeling joy, he feels regret. I want you to see this clip. That scene gets to me every time. I can watch it a thousand times. At that moment, Oscar Sandler saw what was really important about money, about possessions, about stuff. And I was hesitant to show that, that clip because it's so intense. And yet he made that decision that we, we see here in this passage that, that we invest And have our hope, not in the uncertainty of riches, but in God. I, uh, because one day we won't be able to do it. Will that, will that be what, you know, Revelations is talking about, or Revelation is talking about when it talks about uh, uh, there'll be no more tears or crying or pain? I don't know if they're tears of regret or tears of joy. Doesn't, passage doesn't tell us. 
But I don't want any time in my life to ever look back with regret. I don't want at the end of my life look back and, and think, I could have done more. This is a coupon. At the bottom of the coupon is an expiration date. And this one's already passed. This was worth money. Saving me money, right? As I spend money. But now it's just a worthless piece of paper. Because it's past the expiration date. You know, this has an expiration date on it too. And all of you are going, uh-oh, and they're looking at your, you know, got to go check my bills when I get home. Make sure I spend them before they expire. <laughs> you know what the expiration date on this $20 bill is? My death. That's the date. Because I can no longer use this. This will no longer mean anything to me. And the question is, is what do I do with it during my life? God says, there's a couple of things I want you to do. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to have fun with it. I want you to go out and eat, go to the movies, whatever. He said, but I want you to be generous. And I want you to be richly generous. Generous and ready to share more. Richly generous. Richly doing good because our God richly provides for us. Amen? And he has richly provided for us. As Americans, we, we have 10 times the income of the rest of the world. We are rich, every one of us. Yeah, you can look around and see somebody richer and look at those people that, you know, the Elon Musk and all that. But the reality is we have been given a lot. Are we ready to give? Because if we do, when we're investing in somebody else's life, we're taking hold of that which is truly life. When we were, we were washing little kids' feet in Ecuador and giving them shoes and putting on new socks for them, there was such a joy in giving. There is such a delight in giving. It is part of the joy of life that we miss out on if we're not involved. And it keeps us from being prideful because it's hard to, to be prideful when you're washing somebody else's feet. When you're giving to them. God uses that to keep us humble. He uses it to keep us focused on him and how generous he has been to us. We have a very generous God. Let's, let's be generous. My little children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. We have a generous Jesus who gave himself for us. Let's be generous. Let's have a spirit of generosity that that characterizes our lives. And when we do, watch what God's going to do in this world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. You've given to us generously, graciously, fully. Help us to also have that spirit in us. Lord, we may be struggling with that. There may be some here that are struggling with this message. I'm not trying to twist an arm. I know I, I, I showed a very emotional piece, but Father, I want you to touch our hearts so that we take hold of that which is truly life. You want us to have a meaningful existence that at the end of life, no regrets. We're looking back and think, wow, we enjoyed life and we gave generously. Lord, help that to be the twin things that are in our hearts because you are a generous God and you give to us abundantly. Lord, help us not to be miserly. Help us not to hold back. Help us to listen to you about how you want us to invest what you've truly given to us. 
You are so good to us. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.